Welcome to another inspirational message from London Live Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. Hi, London Live. It's so wonderful to be with you. I'm breathing out because it's been such a week and um, we are almost through the second lockdown. Uh, If you're in the UK, that is. If you're in another part of the world, I'm not sure what stage of this pandemic you're in, but I really hope you are safe and well more than anything. But yes, in the UK, in London, we are just coming out of our second lockdown and hopefully this time next week, we'll be all starting our Advent season and putting up Christmas trees. I don't know about you, but for the first time ever in my life, I'm going to put my Christmas tree up on the 1st of December rather than on the 23rd. (laughs) Please come online to hear my ramblings about Christmas. You came to hear God's word. So before we get into it, let me say a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. I pray that as it leaves my lips, it reaches the hearts of those for who it is for, that you bless them and inspire them. Amen. A hundred, less than a hundred years ago, Germany was experiencing one of their toughest times, the season or the period of Nazi Germany rule. Adolf Hitler, with his agenda and his 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 political power in Germany, which wanted to erase a whole race of people, the Jewish people. We all know the history of Germany. It's not a surprise to any of us, but it still is such a horrific tale as we hear it. Adolf Hitler believed that the Aryan race, blonde and blue-eyed people were the superior race and that the Jewish people needed to be exterminated from European soil. So he created concentration camps where he took families and put them there and a lot of them didn't make it out alive. And in the context of this story, I heard a really beautiful story on BBC Radio London or BBC Radio 4 about this time last year. This was a story of Miriam. Miriam was the youngest child of her family. She came home from school one day and her parents said to her, we're really sorry, but this Nazi rule is getting out of hand and our safety is in danger. We're no longer safe in this town and so we are going to have to go into hiding, which is scary enough, but Miriam was gonna go in hiding on her own. And this happened to many families. They would, the youngest child from the family would go into hiding, separated from mum and dad or older siblings because it was safer sometimes for them to be separated. At least one or two would survive. And so Miriam was given to a Christian family. She was given a Christian name and her hair was shaven off because her hair was luscious and curly like most Jewish kids. Thick brown, luscious hair but it would have been obvious to a Nazi soldier that she was Jewish and so they shaved her hair. And in some kids, their hair was dyed, but hers was shaven to hide her identity. And she lived with this Christian family, adopted Christian family for the period of the war and the Holocaust. And her parents, they had to find somewhere to hide, but they weren't as fortunate to find 
people that would take them in because there was a real charge on the heads of people who were considered to be Jewish sympathizers. If you considered to be sympathizing with the Jewish people, if you took them in and you were found to be taking them in, your life could be on the line too. And so many people didn't want to hide families that they couldn't disguise, right? And so this family was having that struggle. Her parents were having that struggle. But they came across a pharmacist. And this pharmacist, he couldn't take them in, but he knew a guy who could. So he took them to the local church caretaker. And this caretaker hid them in the church organ. Now, if you've never seen a church organ and you're thinking it's a bit like a piano, but with the more pedals and maybe you can plug it in, that's an electrical organ. But a proper church organ has a huge set of pipes and it's literally like a building within a building. And so, no, he didn't hide them in the back of the piano, but he hid them in the church organ. But it's still the church organ, right? For three whole years, mum and dad hid there and Miriam stayed with her adopted family. These Christians were places of refuge for these Jewish people whose lives were constantly at risk. They were the ones that made the difference. Because the reason why I was hearing this story was because it was Miriam's great-great-grandchild that was telling this story on the BBC. Had it not been for these wonderful people, Christian people who took these family members in, we would never hear this story because Miriam and her parents made it out on the other side of this awful time in Earth's history. These Christian families made a huge difference. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua 2, verse 1 to 7. Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent out from Shittim two male spies. Go, look over the land, check out Jericho. They left and arrived at the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, we have just learned that the men arrived tonight to spy out the land. They are people from Israel. The king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, bring out the men who stay with you tonight. They are spies and they have come to spy out our land. The woman had taken the two men and she had hidden them. But she says to the soldiers, the two men, they didn't come to me. And when they did come, I, I didn't know where they were coming from. At dark, when the gate was about to shut, the men left. But I had no idea where they went. Maybe if you hurry up, you'd be able to catch them. She'd actually taken the men up into her roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax where they were spread out for her on the roof. So the men set chased down the Jordan Road towards the fords. As soon as they were gone, they shut the gate. This account is taken just after um, Moses has died and he's handed over the leadership of the children of Israel to Joshua. The children of Israel were always told by God that the Canaan was the promised land, the land that was meant to be given to them and that in order to occupy the land, they would have to clear out all those who didn't worship Yahweh in the land. And so Joshua sent out these two spies to go into the land and see what the situation was so they could be well prepared when the rest of the children of Israel got there. 
And so these two spies choose to stay at Rahab's house, the prostitute's house. And as they're there, word gets to the king of Jericho that they are some aliens in the land who are here to spy out <coughs> prior to the war. <clears throat> and of course, the king was to protect his nation. And so he sends out men to Rahab to find these spies. Gets to Rahab's house and Rahab's like, mm, they came here, but you know, I don't know where they went and they left ages ago. And maybe if you go down to the city walls or further down to the gates, you will find them and maybe you can catch them. However, all the time she'd actually hidden these men on her roof. She'd hidden the men on her roof. Now, I know you're probably thinking, what a strange story to, sh to share after the beautiful story of Miriam and her family in, in Nazi Germany. However, if we could just pause for one moment and not judge the, this ancient text by our modern ethical standards, there might be some spiritual lessons here that we can learn about what it means when God uses us as the one. One of the first things that really points up, that is pointed out to me as I read this text and as I share it with you is that God wants us to be a place of safety. <clears throat> the men enter this house, the house of a prostitute. And her name is called Rahab, which in the Hebrew means wide open, which is extremely explicitly telling us what kind of woman she is. And if I was the Bible writer, I would probably leave this information out. I probably would have changed her name or just not have told the readers who this woman was. She makes shoes for a living. Well, I would have sanctified it a little bit more, right? Sanctified it. Yeah, sanitized and sanctified it a little bit more. But I love that the word of God just keeps it real and it's honest about who the people are. And as a reader, you could already start to see how we could judge Rahab, right? Of course, she's willing to have these spies in her home. She probably thinks they're going to be paying customers. But it becomes really clear to us that she doesn't have them in her home because she thinks they're going to be paying customers. She has them in her home because the word of God says later on in Joshua that she had heard about Yahweh God. She had heard that Yahweh God was powerful, how he had brought the children of Israel out of the um, city of Egypt, how he had opened up the rivers for them, how he had protected them for so many years in the desert. And that if these people were Israelites and Yahweh was their God, she believed that this Yahweh was the true God of heaven and earth. And so she protects these men because of who their God is. Full well knowing that this God and his people are essentially her enemies. And that if the king of Jericho or anyone got wind that she had their enemies in her house, her life would be at risk. She takes these men in, <clears throat> full well knowing that this might not even end up well for her. 
they could these spies could turn around and kill her after they after she takes them into her house because that was what they should have done they're meant to, to get rid of all the people in Canaan but she takes them in anyway she is their place of safety even at her own risk how many of us need places of safety people of safety maybe we don't need a home as such or a physical space but we need people that are just safe people that we can pour our hearts out to and we can share with people that make us feel safe are we safe people I feel like Rahab is the most un um the one person you probably wouldn't expect to be a safe space right but she's a safe space anyway in the bible are we safe spaces for others or or are we people that when people come to us we're a bit mean or a bit self-righteous or we don't have time for them growing up i wasn't always the cool kid and i'm not saying that in any way to say that i'm the cool kid now i don't think i am <laughs> but i definitely wasn't cool then and i give you one situation where i was very obvious to me that i wasn't cool and that was one of the summer play schemes Every summer in the period of my mum's life where she was working really hard, I would get sent to um, a play scheme. I don't know if they still have them, but these are places where parents could send their kids in the summer and they could stay there all day and do activities and go on trips. And it was very clear to me that I was the odd one out. I didn't have the cool hairstyles. I didn't have the cool clothes. I didn't know the cool songs on the radio. My trainers were always like the wrong pair of trainers. And anytime I tried to pretend I was cool, it was very obvious that I wasn't. But there was one girl, and I tried to remember her name as I share this with you. There was one girl whose name I can't remember, who always looked out for me. She knew I was kind of being teased and bullied for being uncool. And every day she'd come and sit with me for lunch. She'd fight, she'd sit with me on the coaches and the buses that would go places. And at the end of the summer season, we'd always have a talent show and she even let me be part of the band. We were gonna be the East London TLC. And if you don't know who TLC are, you should be ashamed. Well, I shouldn't say that. If you live, if you don't live in a part of the world where TLC were played on the radio, then that's fine. But they were a really popular girl band, an R&B girl band. And at the time, I believe, don't go chasing waterfalls might have been in the charts and that was the song and I was allowed to sing Chili's part and I felt very cool I think I did do a good job if I remember clearly but I think I've erased it from my mind but she was my safe space she was that person that I could it she made it possible for me to go to that play scheme every day knowing that I wasn't the cool kid, but because she was there, it was okay for me to be there. I believe that God has called us as Christians to be safe spaces. In Colossians 3 verses 12, 15, it says, So, chosen by God, you, through this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength and discipline. 
be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive and offence. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basics, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this is going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. This is Paul writing to the Colossians. And I just think it's the brilliant verse of who we are meant to be as Christians. Compassionate, kindness, humility, quiet strength and discipline. Being even-tempered and quick to forgive. If we are able to inhabit and be these virtues, I think it'd be really hard for us not to be safe spaces for others. None of us are perfect, but imagine if we could aim to be just simply nice to one another. That when some of our lives are bounced up against one another, we leave feeling better about ourselves. When someone comes into our space or joins into our conversation, they leave feeling more hopeful about themselves or their situation i know sometimes it's hard to let yourself be available for someone because some people take it for granted and some people abuse our good natures but like rahab sometimes it's worth the risk because our love could be just the rest and the safety that someone else needs god i believe calls us to be places of safety number two I have three points. This is number two. Acts of kindness have bigger impacts than we even realise. Everyone knows about the ripple effect. You throw a bubble, a throw a bubble, you throw a pebble into the water and then there's all these ripples that happen, right? Even better, there's the butterfly effect, which I know I think the disproven actually exists, but I like the idea of it that a butterfly can flap its wings in Japan, the tornado happens in America. It's probably geographically completely incorrect, but you get the point. The butterfly effect says that a small change in the weather pattern way over in one part of the world has an impact in another part of the world. What we could do here that could be so small and so delicate as a butterfly can have a much bigger impact somewhere into the future. If you do something good, or if you do something bad, it has an effect. And what Rahab did changed the course of Israel's history. In fact, the Bible says that what she did became a sign to Joshua that God had in fact, and will in fact, deliver Canaan into the hands of the children of Israel. God put someone in that unknown land such as Canaan as an ally to the children of Israel and this became a sign that God was with them, that God was providing for them, that God was already in the midst having a plan for them before they even arrived. Rahab was in the land before they even arrived as a place of safety. God had already prepared in the future for them. Imagine that God may be placing you in your job, your school, your uni, your house share specifically so you can be an ally 
for someone else. So many times we ask God, why am I in this situation? But maybe that's the wrong question to ask. You're there now. Maybe the question is to ask God, how do I lean into this situation and how can you use me in this situation? What ways, God, can you get the glory in the situation? In what ways can I do something that makes a bigger impact? Maybe one that I might never see, but definitely makes an impact in the future. Maybe your act of kindness could be the sign that someone else needs to know that God is looking out for them. But here is where her act of kindness has the biggest ripple effect. How Rahab's ability to let God use her, even though I'm not sure she knew that God was using her, <laughs> but it had a bigger impact than she probably realised. In Joshua 6 verses 25, it says, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she still lives among the Israelites to this day. If you don't know the story, because of what Rahab did, she made a covenant with the spies, and they said that they, when they come back to war in the land and destroy all the other tribes, they would not kill her, that she and her family would be protected. And so she lived amongst the Israelites up until the day in which that the Joshua was writing the accounts of what had happened. But she lives long enough to have her own children and becomes the mother of Boaz. Boaz is the one who marries Ruth and Ruth is, becomes the grandmother of Jesse. And Jesse is part of the branch of David. And we all know who the branch of David ends up being, Jesus Christ. So Rahab, this prostitute with this horrendous name, becomes the great, 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 grandmother of Jesus. That her act of kindness her act of being able to be used by God ends up bringing forth the Messiah. I don't know about you, but that is some butterfly effect, right? Imagine that what you do for someone could end up having this massive impact in your life that brings forth a situation that you didn't even account for also brings forth a situation in their life, being a sign for them that something's going to happen and then also blessing you. Isn't that just amazing what goodness can do? And third, in being someone's saving grace, we are also saved. Like I've said, Rahab didn't have the best profession. In the list of people that we expect God to use. I don't think prostitution or being a prostitute would be one of them, right? A prostitute, a prostitute, can't say the word. <laughs> she lived in the city or the walls of the city of Jericho, in the boundary of Jericho. And um, you're probably asking, how does someone live in a wall? Well, the walls were very thick and you could have 
homes in the walls, right? And this is where she lived. And of course she lived there because there would be high footfall, which is needed for her type of industry. But what's really interesting is in the beginning of the story of Joshua, or in the history of Israel, we are told many times in Deuteronomy and other places that when the children of Israel get to the land of Canaan, the promised land, they are to get rid of all the inhabitants of the land. And here in chapter two, we already see that God is willing to use the very people he expected them, he expected to be exterminated. God tells them, or the account tells us, that God wanted the children of Israel to get rid of all the inhabitants of Canaan. But right here in chapter two, God is using Rahab, an inhabitant of Canaan, to execute what seems to be part of God's will. He's using this very person, which if you are the reader of this text, right, for the first time, if you're an ancient reader, or even if you're a reader now, you've never read this text before, this would create some tension, right? Is Yahweh God already creating some sort of get out clause, some sort of covenant clause with these supposedly enemies of the children of Israel right here? Is there some grace that is being offered there that we didn't account for? Maybe the request to kill the occupants of Canaan was a bit of hyperbole that creates an obvious contrast against the grace that Rahab is about to receive. Maybe this kill all the inhabitants was so strong. And I know so many of us struggle with this supposed, this suggested genocide, right? Which actually doesn't happen because not everyone dies, but the suggested genocide. But maybe this strong text or the strong word to get rid of them helps us to see actually just how much grace there was because Rahab receives it. She, she recognises that Yahweh is the God of heaven and earth. She declares it with her own mouth in the text. She makes this covenant that if I save your life, will you save my life? And her and her family are saved. In verse 14, it says, our lives for your life. The men assure her, the spies declare that because of what she did, her family would be saved. Because of what she believed, she was also saved. Sometimes in being the one, our lives are saved in the process. And I think that's what we're being shown here. That as she is an enemy of the children of Canaan, she acknowledges who God is. She creates this kindness and this pace of safety for them she also has her life saved. Sometimes when we put our lives on the line for others, we are also blessed is basically what I'm trying to say. In being the one, sometimes there's a lot of, oh, how's this gonna work out for me? Oh, I'm gonna sacrifice this time or this money or this, or something of ours. But actually in doing it, we find some sense of salvation too. 
Either we get to know God better or we give up something that was holding us down, really. We grow as Christians. We are also saved. So there are three things, just in case you didn't catch it, regarding this story of Rahab and being the one who can make a difference. It only takes one, one person, one action. By doing what she did, she became a safe place of safety for others. By doing what she did, she created this butterfly effect that this kind, one kind act created this roller coaster of other things where she even ended up being able to be the great grandmother times, I don't know how many generations of Jesus Christ. By doing what she did, her life was also saved. And so going back to the story of Miriam in Nazi Germany and her life being saved by the act of one family, my question and my challenge to us is this, how can we be that one for others? In what way, especially as we go into the Advent season, can be, we can be the one that make the difference in others' lives? Can we be safe spaces for others? Can we do one act of kindness that changes the course of history for someone? And are we willing to save a life and actually in turn have our own salvation as it were? That's my challenge. And that's a challenge I believe God has given to all of us who carry his name as Christians. Jesus Christ himself is our safe space. Jesus Christ himself does this one act of kindness on the cross that allows us to have a life of eternity, right? Jesus, life, Jesus himself gives up his life so that we can be saved. In Jesus... We see that what Rahab was doing was just what we're all called to do. And I know it's hard, but in Jesus, we all have the power to do it through his Holy Spirit. So as you go into this week, I pray that we can be the one that makes a difference. And maybe if you need the one, Jesus is also available for you too. So let's close our eyes and pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for being our one. That makes a huge difference. I thank you that you could be our one that we can go to whenever times get tough. But Lord, I pray that more than anything, we can be like you more and be the one for others, pointing people to you, but also being meaningful in other people's lives. Thank you for this challenge, Father. Help us to live it out beautifully and perfectly in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit londonlivechurch.com.